Welcome to the podcast Israel and Christians Today. This podcast is brought to you by Christians for Israel International. Join us on a journey as we explore and discover God's love for and His promises to the Jewish people. Our goal is to understand Israel and world events from a biblical perspective. Enjoy this new podcast episode. Well, welcome back, everybody, uh, all our listeners, wherever you might be around the world. My name is Andrew Tucker. I'm chief editor of Israel and Christians today. And I have the great pleasure of a conversation with Johannes Gerloff, based in Israel, my good friend, theologian and journalist in Israel. I myself uh, have an international law background. I'm based in the Netherlands. So our conversation is across the sea via Zoom, and we're talking about the amazing things that are going on in the world around us and what that means for us. And I think it's fair to say that for both Johannes and myself, what really inspires and motivates us is understanding how the the realities of what is going on in the world today are, are real and that they are connected with what God is is doing. So in a way, the sub-theme that, that is going on in our conversation is thinking about uh, what does all of this mean for us as Christians living in this world and our Christian faith. Johannes, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you and to hear you. Uh, we had a great talk last time about the agreements that have just been entered into recently with two uh, Sunni Arab states, uh, Gulf states of the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, and to so-called normalize relations with Israel. And I wanted to just explore with you today the significance of these agreements for the relations between Israel and the Palestinians. Now, the Palestinians have reacted violently to these agreements. They have accused the, their Arab uh, states of stabbing them in the back. They say this is uh, traitorism to Islamic values, and they use a whole lot more violent language. They've rejected these agreements. Um, I'm wondering why they're reacting so strongly. Um maybe i have to tell you something here which i did not talk about in public so far um i'm actually living in the territories for the past quarter a century i see the settlers let's say that way and the palestinians on the street when i do in the morning my my jog round with my dog uh, i see the palestinians on the street i talk to them um, and I have, have to tell you that um, when you say that the Palestinians violently uh, disagreed, I have to say that the Palestinian leadership that is upheld by the Europeans, financed by the Europeans, against the democratic will of the Palestinian people, the European media and the European politicians would have liked to see them violently object to this agreement. What we didn't talk about it is that, that one competitor to Mahmoud Abbas, the present Palestinian president, 
whose name is Mohammed uh, Dahlan, he might have mediated this agreement. And actually the Palestinian leadership was disappointed by the Palestinian street not going against it. And if I looked around, the Palestinian workers just came as normal. So I'm sorry if I have to contradict here the, 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 the European point of view, but, but it was not only the Israelis who said about the peace agreement with the United Arab Emirates, so what? It was the Palestinians who understood that they lost a big game, the Palestinian leadership, and for sure it was Hamas who sent at the moment when these agreements were signed, rockets towards Israel, towards Ashdod and Ashkelon. And uh, Johannes, can you help, help me understand the connection because what, how does it affect the Palestinians that Israel has a friendly relationship with another country? Not at all. The, the only point is that the United Arab Emirates were hostage to the Palestinian issue up until now. And it was the last, as somebody in Ramallah said, the, a colleague of mine, a, a, a longtime journalist, said it was the last card the Palestinians had hidden in their sleeve they could pull out. They said, yes, but the Arab states are all standing united behind us. This is gone. So the Palestinians now stand there, and actually the European Union stands there, as somebody who miscalculated the whole situation. But this is not news. This is old. I'm sorry if I say it that way, because whoever listened to the Arab street knew that Palestinians were building the settlements, that Palestinians were cleaning the settlements, that Palestinians were were uh, planting the plans in the settlements, whatever you have. Now, there is an inner Palestinian issue and Palestinians sometimes have to hide where they're working. And we talked last, last time about it that normalization is an immoral issue in the Palestinian society. Okay, that's a fact. But it doesn't mean if you want to move on with peace, you have to ignore a huge segment of Palestinian society because for Hamas who sent the rocket and Islamic Jihad and, and Al-Qaeda elements like Hezbollah Tahrir within the Palestinian society, for them Tel Aviv is a settlement. And you will only have peace if you, if you annihilate the whole Jewish state in the Middle East. Well, let, let, let's just pick up on that because the connection between um, this topic and the normalization agreement is that Israel has said, uh, because before these agreements, Israel had said, we will apply Israeli sovereignty to parts of the, the so-called West Bank that the Jewish people call Judea and Samaria. That's what we call annexation issue. Yeah, right. And the, uh, the intention was that Israeli sovereignty would be applied to the settlement blocks and the Jordan Valley. And as soon as the agreements were entered into with the UAE and Bahrain, Israel has apparently made an agreement to suspend this so-called annexation, not to do it for the time being, um, which you would think would be good news for the Palestinians. Um, 
has agreed has israel actually agreed not to do it or has it just been suspended may i ask you a question first because i think it is something as i see europe and as i see israel and i will tell you what i see here but there is one big issue and the europeans emphasize that annexation would contradict international law and and you are between us, the international lawyer, and I'm the journalist, and I'm the theologian living here on the ground. But um, if I listen to Europeans, and if I listen to diplomats, journalists come in here, there is no discussion that Netanyahu and all the other Israeli politicians who proposed annexation were dead wrong, violated international law. Is that right? Or is there a discussion among international lawyers? It's a really, thanks for the question. It's a very complicated question. If you asked most leading international lawyers in the world today, if this is illegal, then they would say, yes, it's illegal. In fact, when the announcement was made, there were a number of public letters that were sent by, you know, the most famous international lawyers in the most famous universities around the world, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, you name it, Tel Aviv, Hebrew University, they sent public letters, open letters to the Israeli government saying, this is illegal, you must not do it. So the, the, I, the consensus view is that these territories, and we're talking about the territories that were occupied by Jordan between 1949 and 1967, do not belong to Israel, and therefore Israel cannot apply its sovereignty. Uh, under international law, that there's a principle that you, really ever since the Second World War, that you, you cannot unilaterally just suddenly take territory um, from, from, from another. Um, now, that begs a whole lot of questions. For example, well, if this is not Israel's, then who does it belong to? And so the second thing that most of them say is it belongs to the Palestinians. There is a general perception amongst international lawyers that these territories somehow belong to the Palestinian people because of their right to self-determination. Now, I think that's a wrong view because I think it ignores everything that happened before 1967. It ignores the fact that all of this territory was intended for the reconstitution of a Jewish homeland in what was known as Palestine, um, which was the territory, everything west of the Jordan River, and in fact, even including what is today Jordan, was known as Palestine 100 years ago. And this is where Jewish homeland was to be reestablished. All of that gets forgotten. And the only thing the world sees is that Israel reconquered the territory in the Six-Day War in 1967. So I think, and there is a kind of minority of international lawyers like, you know, myself and others much more famous than me who, you know, disagree with this majority consensus view. But unfortunately, it is a consensus view. It's reflected in UN resolutions reflected in, unfortunately, the most recent Security Council resolutions. Um, but as I say, I think it, I think it ignores 
a major part of history. And what it does also is it, it ignores Israel's perspective. Um, and this is where I think you, you might be able to explain better than I can, you know, the, the Israeli psyche and mentality is that if you think of Jerusalem, for example, uh, what is known as East Jerusalem is amongst the most sacred part of the world for the Jewish people where they've had such a deep and a long historical connection. And the world is simply saying, this does not belong to you. This belongs to the Palestinians who hate you. That perspective, that Israeli perspective is just being completely sidelined and ignored. And it's being, um, it's being connected with the right wing. You know, this is Netanyahu and the right wing, uh, which I think is very unfortunate. Maybe let me, as a an, as an, uh, compliment to what you said, just um, uh, say how I got my question. When I researched the Israeli-Palestinian issue as a journalist, trying to not do injustice to, uh, to, uh, to the Palestinians, I realized that there was no quest for a Palestinian state at least until 1968 or 67. When Jordan occupied these lands, nobody asked for a Palestinian state. And so, so that was the point where I came or where I realized uh, when, when the Polish took Danzig to say a, a similar issue where we started a war and then lost it and and the Poles got a, 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 a city that was for a thousand years German. It's what, it was clear that Danzig, today's Gdansk, and I don't want to change their history, please do not misunderstand me, but I, to, to show the parallel, it was clear they took it from the Germans. It was not clear to the Israelis in 1967 from whom they took the land. For them, at that time, it was the Jordanians. And then there was another issue that I talked to a German international lawyer from the German embassy, and I asked him, why are you actually in the Euro official European stand on the borders between Israel and, and the Palestinian territories? You take the uh, ceasefire agreements of, of spring 1949 as borders. But in terms of Jerusalem, you take the UN resolution of 181 of November 1947. Why are you contradicting each other there? And he said to me, oh, I, I think in the international community, something else would not be acceptable. So I say, okay, I'm not a lawyer. Please excuse me. I'm just listening to you. But from this, I would conclude that right is, international law is the right of the stronger. What is acceptable to the majority is right. And then another international lawyer explained to me that international law doesn't mean right and wrong, morally speaking. It doesn't mean wise or unwise. Uh, politically speaking, it just means that we try to draw conclusions. And, and, and if we're talking about binding issues, none of these things are binding. That's the other thing. And, and so, so it, it's quite mix, mixing for me if I, if I, if I look at these issues as somebody living here. Um, but let me come to the, 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 the other issue you touched because you went to Israeli position and the Israeli position is not as clear as we Christians, as Bible readers would like it to be. 
understand what the majority, the vast majority of Israelis want is not the land, but is quiet and peace. And even in 1967, it was a small majority, uh, a minority of people who, who brought up the Israeli flag on the Temple Mount. And it was the military leadership of Israel that says, bring it down. And then I have a quote of Moshe Dayan, at that time, one of the military leaders, who said, what shall I do with this Vatican? It will just bring me war. It will just create me problems. So a matter of fact is, Israelis don't want Jerusalem. And I, I got alerted to that in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament, when I followed a debate how to make Jerusalem dearer to normal Israelis. And they actually brought up statistics that a normal Israeli is not getting, who is born in Israel, who is not getting to Jerusalem before the age of 18, it's about 70% of all Israelis. It's the military, when they do their military service in the framework of their military service, they have to get to know their country. It's the military that forces them to get to know Jerusalem. Well, Johannes, can I just jump in there? That's a really important issue you're raising about Jerusalem because after the Six Day War in 1967, Israel, um, basically reunited Jerusalem. They said that the whole city belongs to Israel. Prior to that, it had been divided under Jordanian occupation and Jews had been removed from the old city of Jerusalem and synagogues had been destroyed and everything that was Jewish was destroyed. When it was liberated from an Israeli perspective, they reunited the city and it is now one city. In 1980, they declared it to be the unified, indivisible capital of the city, which is when the international community moved their embassies out of Jerusalem to Tel Aviv in protest. Why did Israel choose to claim sovereignty over Jerusalem, but not over the remainder of the territories that had been occupied by Jordan? I think also they did it, what they did with Jerusalem is words. Because if you say a territory belongs to me, you also say I am responsible for that territory. And if, you, if I take you to Silwan, if I take you to Abu Dis, if I take you to Wadi Juz, it's all parts of East Jerusalem that, that, that are, there are actually today parts of East Jerusalem that are beyond the wall that the Israelis built. It's, if, you, if you don't see the human tragedy going with it, it's hilarious. You cannot go there as a, tur a, a, a tourist. I mean, I can bring you there, but, but they, they, there are parts on the other side of the wall where Israel say they are not Israel, or they, they're, they're, they're Palestinian territories, but the Palestinians say we don't have uh, uh, judiciary rights here. So um, it's a very mixed up situation. And, and therefore, if I am for annexation, as somebody who is living here, and if I talk about the West Bank, then I'm saying that Israel should finally accept responsibility. For territories they conquered more than 50 years ago 
and nobody is is really taking responsibility here and it's a lot of issues building streets uh, environmental issues water issues you name it environmental issues you name it whatever it is and you feel that you see that so are you, are you saying you are in in terms of there are parts of jerusalem where you feel israel is not taking full responsibility for them even though they claim it to be part of israel yes they're not they're not they're, if, if arabs throw stones they are not taking the garbage from there you can see you can see the quality of the streets is different the investment is different so don't don't say they, they, there are a lot of laws here in the Middle East. And you know, you have to understand that in Germany, especially the Christians are under the law. It was Jews here explained to me, we are not under the law. For us, every law is a, is a basis for discussion. So what they actually did in 1967 and then 1980, they created a basis of discussion for Israelis but they did not take responsibility. And the most obvious thing is that Arabs living in Eastern Jerusalem, they're basically between all the chairs. Israelis should give them citizenship. If they say we have, the, they, they lived there for, for, for millennia, some of them, not all of them. There was always migration here, back and forth. But, but that would be another issue. It's, it's about the territory. And actually, if I talk about if, if annexation would, la would be land theft from a biblical point of view, I would be absolutely against it because the Bible never ever with a land promise gives any person the right to steal the land. We see that with Abraham. We see that with Jacob. We see that with David. They all had to buy the land they personally wanted to use. Even David, when he was shown the Temple Mount, he had to buy the land for the market price. Even Arana, the Jebusite, wanted to give it to him because he understood what was going on. He had to buy the land. So if annexation would be land theft, I would be 100% against it. Okay, well, it's, uh, let me just jump in there because it's very important, I think, to distinguish. There, there's two levels that you need to look at in terms of ownership of land one is the level of sovereignty and that is to which state does territory belong and the second level is private ownership so um clearly i understand nothing would justify israel stealing land that is owned privately by palestinians unless it's expropriated under you know normal expropriation laws where it's justified and there's adequate compensation and so forth. But when it comes to the level of sovereignty, um, the discussion is, does it belong to Israel or not? And this is where it gets tricky because a lot of people in the world say, well, it belongs to the Palestinians as a matter of sovereignty, whereas others say, well, it doesn't because Israel was always intended to be there under the mandate. The question then it comes up is, Given the uncertainty on this issue or the dispute, should we as Christians support a move like Netanyahu is, you know, suggesting to annex, to apply Israeli sovereignty to these territories or not? How should we respond to this? 
Andrew, you see that there are a lot of questions that are coming up in your final words here. And I just want to summarize them also maybe for further podcasts. One question is, what is international law indeed? Yeah. Is international law a description of what, what, is, what, what is going on and how nations dealt with each other? Or is it a, is it a framework that is, is being set for how nations should deal with each other? Yeah. The other thing is, you ask how we as Christians should, should relate to that. And I think we as Christians have a lot of freedom because the Bible doesn't talk in that sense politically. It doesn't tell us what international law is. It doesn't tell, tell us which state is there. I know that some Christians come up and tell me that, that Israel as a state is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And I just say, show me the prophecy. Yeah. What the Bible tells us is that the Jewish people will come back to the land of Israel. If, let's just be crazy for a moment, if the Ottoman Empire would still be in existence and the Ottomans would have welcomed the Jews and the Arabs would have welcomed the Jews, biblical prophecy would have been fulfilled without being a change of states after World War II or one. So there are a lot of, the Bible leaves us a lot of opportunities open where we as Christians should have a clear stand is that the Lord will bring back his people to this land. And if Jews buy land here, for example, in Hebron, and I do not know a single case where Jews moved into a house that belonged to an Arab. They first bought the house. Sometimes they bought a house that was a hundred years ago Jewish was stolen by Arabs and they, they redeemed, that's the word they use, they redeemed it by buying it again one or two times sometimes, three times. And then the international community still says they don't have a right to move there. My question is, why does Europe think that a Palestinian state, and let's go with that thought, has to be clear of Jews, mm. clean of Jews, Judenrein, that comes up into my mind. Why do the Europeans not come? We learned how to mix multiculturally. Why don't you learn that in the Middle East? And the United Arab Emirates, which we talked about last time, they're now showing us the Jewish community in the United <coughs> Arab Emirates will get or is getting more and more an official status. Why don't we ask the same from the Palestinians and let Jews live in Hebron? Yeah. That would, that would, take a lot of tension away yeah and i'm not i want to underline that again there is no discussion about stealing land private land there is discussion about land that the ottomans called the land of the death because that's the the, the official ottoman uh, use of language that cannot be used for agriculture or any other purpose and on that land Jews settled and the question is why are they not allowed to return to the land of their forefathers we have another discussion that would be political and I mean it would be a big discussion whether where the Jews could live in a Palestinian state from my biblical point of view why not why not why not make some kind of, of European Union here if that's the glorious solution to all the inner European nationalist conflicts? Which I don't know. And I don't feel so. Yeah, the British to think, seem to think differently. 
but uh, so we're still trying in Europe, but why don't we encourage people here to try politically, to make experiments, instead always pressing them to get a, sorry if I use another bad German word, a final solution or a final agreement. Why don't we just encourage them, try it, try, be fair to each other, accept each other as human beings with your differences. That would be my point of view in this whole situation. Well, Johannes, that's a whole bunch of very complicated, interrelated questions which you've touched on. And I think in the coming episodes, podcasts, we're going to try and unravel some of these issues, biblical issues, international law issues, political issues, maybe even religious. Um, I think you have a unique perspective in a way, or at least I think a very valuable one being a Christian living in the land for so long and you know the Palestinian and Arab culture pretty well, also because you've studied it. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. And I think they're really important topics for us to wrestle with because there's so much confusion, it seems to me, and, and misinformation out there. So anyway, looking forward to it. Thank you again, and um, we'll join each other with our listeners. Thank you for listening, wherever you might be, and please join us next time for Israel and Christians Today podcasts. Bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We'd like to connect with you online. Find us on Facebook, visit our YouTube page, and check out our website. For now... Thank you for listening and we'd like to see you next time. Bye bye.